So this week of Advent, we're talking about joy. Uh, I have synesthesia. So uh, some of my senses are crossed. For instance, when I think of um, a, a um, just about everything, when I think of anything, I associate it with uh, a color. Seriously, anything like objects, words, numbers, letters, feelings, everything I associate with a color. And for me, yellow is generally the color of a headache. I'm not sure why. It's just, it's just the way my brain works. So I tend to not like yellow. But when I think about joy, um, I often think of the only shade of yellow that I love. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, maybe that means something. It probably means nothing. Another thing I think about when I think of joy is almond joy, which is a candy that I absolutely love, but many people hate. And I think that's because y'all just don't understand joy. Uh, joy can sometimes be tricky for us to, to define, and we often confuse it with happiness. But happiness is usually a fleeting feeling that is contingent on external circumstances, whereas joy is something that transcends happiness and springs from within us. Uh, we talked about joy in our uh, Fruit of the Spirit series this past summer, and we define joy as the satisfaction that comes when we find that for which we have been looking and longing. Based on that idea of joy, like I asked at the beginning of tonight, what is a moment of joy that you experienced in 2020? That's what I'd love for you to post an answer to in the chat. And we'll be talking about your uh, answers in a bit. And throughout this series, we've been looking at the fractured Jewish culture that Jesus was born into while exploring the themes of Advent. Two weeks ago, we talked about hope and the Essenes. Last week, we talked about peace and the Zealots. And tonight we're talking about joy and the Sadducees. The Sadducees are an interesting faction. Um, they were by far the smallest, but they were maybe the most powerful group. This is because the Sadducees were largely comprised of the aristocracy and the elite of Israel. Many were from priestly families, including the high priesthood, um, all of whom controlled the temple, which was the center of Jewish religious and social life. So the Sadducees had an incredible amount of power. Unlike other factions, the Sadducees uh, supported King Herod, the puppet uh, king of Rome. They also didn't oppose Roman op occupation. They saw aligning with Herod and Rome as a way to uh, maintain their status and their wealth, their influence and their power. At some point, as so often happens with power, uh, the Sadducees became corrupt. They became all about amassing power and wealth, which they largely did through their administration and control of the temple and the various taxes they could impose on worshipers. Jesus has many confrontations with the Sadducees throughout the gospels, uh, culminating in his crucifixion. But uh, there's a scene near the end of Jesus's life when he gets, um, he goes into the temple and he starts turning over the tables um, because he's so angry that money changers are conducting business there. These are predatory money changers who for a fee uh, exchanged Roman money, which couldn't be used in the temple with money that could. They were essentially just making the Sadducees more money on top of the money that people had already brought to give them, to donate to them, which is already pretty unethical. But they're also conducting this shady business uh, within the temple, which was salt in the wound. And so Jesus is angry that God's temple is being profaned in this way. And he starts turning over the money, uh, the, the money lenders tables, driving them out of the temple. This is the moment when all the conflicts between Jesus and the Sadducees come to a head and they ultimately decide they're going to have to do something about him. The, the, 
sorry, the Sadducees held some unique beliefs about God. Uh, they only believed in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. They only believed those first five books were binding. As a result, they didn't believe in the immort immortality of the soul. They didn't believe in any afterlife, certainly not in any punishment after death. Um, their view of God was that he uh, never did anything evil, but that he was ultimately pretty removed and distant from humanity. All this led to a kind of cold pragmatism and a heavy emphasis on pursuing happiness and making the most out of this life. If this is all there is, I better enjoy it is, is how I imagine they thought. The best way for a Sadducee to make the most of this life, to enjoy this life to the fullest um, in their minds was to stay in power, to stay in a position of amassing wealth, which again is why they sided with Rome and King Herod. It's why they sided with power. We don't know a ton about the Sadducees. So I'm filling in some gaps and making some assumptions and probably to be fair, projecting a bit. Um, but it seems when you believe God's far away and volatile, when you believe that this life is all that there is, when your personal happiness and, and fulfillment are your primary focus, and when you believe that your grasp on power is the only way for you to uh, maintain that happiness, it seems that your life is, is most defined by fear and worry. Happiness is based entirely on external circumstances, which are largely out of our control. If uh, experiencing and maintaining happiness is our highest aim, we set the foundation of our lives on incredibly insecure and shaky ground. And the result is constant fear and worry. The Sadducees were constantly worried about anything that threatened the status quo, anything that might make Rome mad, anything that might threaten their power and ultimately their happiness. They were constantly worried about the Pharisees who we will talk about next week. They were constantly worried about what Herod or Rome thought of them. They were constantly worried about the people of Israel rising up against Rome. That's in large part why the Sadducees were so determined to get Jesus killed. Uh, he threatened their power. Um, he threatened their means of, of pursuing happiness. He threatened their power by exposing their corruption to the people. And he threatened their power in that the Sadducees thought that he was stirring up a rebellion against Rome, which is actually what most people assumed Jesus was going to be doing and uh, what many wanted him to do. There's a kind of um, desperation and despair and intense longing and fear that comes from the kind of nihilism the Sadducees embraced. God, if he even exists, is distant. Nothing really matters. All we have is what's right in front of us here and now. And to be perfectly honest with you, um, in this phase of my life, I probably resonate more with the Sadducees than any other faction. God often feels distant and sometimes it just seems simpler and almost a relief to, to think that this is all there is. If you can get into that headspace, you can completely understand why the Sadducees made some of the decisions that they did. Life, life is hard. Why suffer more when you could be happy? I know for many of you, this is a particularly difficult season. Um, some, uh, some have a hard time around the holidays in general, as it's a reminder of the loss of loved ones or a reminder of the dysfunction of family um, or a heightened sense of loneliness. I know some of you are ba barely hanging on by a thread because of difficult and painful family situations. Some of you with your parents and family of origin, some of you with your kids, some of you with both. 
there's the usual stress of, of trying to make this a happy season. Um, there's financial stress, there's emotional stress. And on top of all of this, you add 2020 and there's so much insecurity and instability and worry and fear right now. I know some of you feel hopeless. You feel despair. You feel uh, like the Sadducees. You feel like God is distant. And so Advent, the season that's typically supposed to be happy, feels anything other than that. It feels foreign. It feels out of place. But the birth of Jesus, God incarnate, God becoming his own creation, the arrival of God with us, extends to the nihilistic and worried Sadducees and to all of us who feel like God is distant and nothing matters. The birth of Jesus extends to us joy, not mere happiness that is, is contingent on external circumstances, but deep abiding joy that is rooted internally, unfazed by external conditions. Joy is the satisfaction that comes when we find that for which we have been looking and longing whether they knew it or not, I suspect the Sadducees felt a deep longing for a God that was near, a God that was with them. And so the birth of Jesus should have brought them so much joy. Joy is the satisfaction that comes when we find that for which we have been looking and longing for. What's a moment of joy for you in 2020? Let's look at, uh, let's look at some of what you said. Wow, there's a lot of answers tonight. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Nikki Joe said, uh, endless joy. She watched her grandfather come to know Jesus before he died. Um, that, yeah. Nikki, how long were you waiting and longing for that? Sherry, pure joy as she watched her daughter, Abby, graduate from nursing school, a 13-year journey. <laughs> that is um, 13 years in school, grad school. Uh, is is definitely longing and and waiting. Trevor sent a message that Nikki deleted, so um, I'm going to have to find out what that was about. Carrie said that endless joy going to Steamboat this summer and tubing the Yampa and hiking and doing the Alpine slide, among other things. I love that. Uh, Carrie, what do you feel like that was the satisfaction. What were you longing for, looking for that that satisfied? Amanda, planning out and teaching yoga classes, having creative outlet. Yeah, looking and longing for that creativity. Kind of spending 4th of July in Oklahoma with cousins. Family can be the best. Um, yeah, Kenneth, that's a great question. What... What about that was, what, what deep longing in your heart was satisfied by that? Man, these are so good. Joe Lloyd, Joe Lloyd is here. Joe Lloyd said, joy is a long run in the mountains when with no one else in sight, winky face. I don't know if that's creepy or beautiful or a little bit of both, but again, Joe, what, what is that? What is that deep longing satisfying? Um, I'd seriously be interested to, to know in following up any of those. Sorry if I didn't get to your questions. Um, thank you everyone for re, uh, posting them. I will go back and read them. Um, I really appreciate that. Some of what you wrote, I think most of what you wrote are, are great illustrations of experiencing when that intense looking and longing is satisfied. 
joy shows up all throughout the Bible um, in both the old Testament and new Testament. Joy is uh, consistently presented as the human response to an increased awareness of God's nearness. And that's why joy is a key theme of Advent. It's the celebration of God's nearness of God with us. We feel an intense um, existential longing when we feel like God is distant and we experience joy when we realize that the God that we feared was so far away is so much nearer than we'd ever dare believe. In the same way throughout uh, the Bible, joy is seen as our response to an increased awareness and the depth of God's love and grace um, for us as we experience reveling in creation and healing and restoration um, in reunion and redemption and in reconciliation. In short, joy is the response to everything that we experience that produces a greater awareness of God's love for us. This is why in Christianity, suffering and joy are often closely related. It's why in Christianity, um, we're able to talk about finding joy in the midst of pain and suffering. We often think um, of joy or even happiness as the absence of pain, the absence of suffering. But Christian joy is the response to God's presence, which we often experience uniquely in the midst of pain and suffering. And even when we don't experience a greater awareness of God's presence in suffering and pain, which isn't a guarantee, you know, uh, sometimes our suffering and our pain are the result of, or are exacerbated by feeling like God is distant and nowhere to be found. But even then there's joy in, in that we can cling to because the more that we come through suffering and pain, um, the more that we're able to trust that these experiences often lead to deeper maturity, deeper growth and deeper joy in our lives. Joy isn't about ignoring pain. It's not about ignoring suffering. Joy isn't about putting on a happy face and pretending like everything is okay. But ultimately suffering doesn't steal our joy because we know that the darkness doesn't get the final word. As Karl Barth puts it, um, Christian joy stands as a defiant nevertheless. I love that quote. Um, this defiance, this joy is available to us, even in this particularly painful advent, when we're pressured to feel happy while suffering abounds. Even now joy is available to us because God is near. Uh, I want to read for you an excerpt um, from Philippians four that I think could be key for us experiencing joy in this difficult season. Uh, Paul here is writing to the church in Philippi, which is a great name for a city if you're ever in charge of naming cities. And he's trying to encourage his readers on how to move forward. And I think what he says um, has some resonance for you and I today. Paul writes this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him, make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on whatever is true whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, 
things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. So Paul says, celebrate God, revel in him, be, um, be about other people and showing them how near God is. Don't worry. Instead, pray, fill your hearts and minds with what is noble and good. And don't, uh, don't constantly dwell on anything less. I think all of this is important, but what the, the, the I think what Paul says in the middle of what I just read um, there is what I want you to focus on this week. Don't fret or worry. He writes, instead of worrying, pray, let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. So when you're tempted to despair, when you're uh, tempted to give up and believe that nothing matters, when you feel like God is distant, when you're consumed by worry, will you try this? Choose to trust that God is near and turn your worries into prayers. I know sometimes for me, this feels silly. I think God already knows the things that I'm worried about. Why do I need to say them to him? Um, but that isn't the point. It's an act of trust to intentionally lay your worries and fears before God. And it's not a magic trick. It doesn't automatically solve any of your problems, but more often than not, if I allow myself to lean into trusting that God is near, I do feel a sense of calm, or at least I feel less consumed by worry than I did before. I feel hope. I feel peace. I feel love. I experience what Paul describes as Christ displacing worry from the center of my life. My feelings of God being distant are, are confronted as I experience God actually caring about me and my worries and fears. I experience God being near. Um, I experience God with me. I experience the promise of Advent, God with us. And it's in that experience that we can find joy in the midst of the heavy circumstances that many of us are navigating right now. God with us, which is good news of great joy for all. This Advent, may you experience true joy by taking your fears and worries to the God who loves us so deeply that he became his own creation to be nearer to us, to rescue us and to free us from fear. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for um, the gift that is joy. Thank you for such a beautiful response to our growing awareness of how near you are and how much you love us and how deep your grace is for us. God, this can be a season where talking about joy is, is always hard for some. And it's certainly a season this year where it feels strange to be talking about joy. God, I pray for all of us who feel like the darkness is everywhere for all of us who feel like you are distant. I, I pray that you would show up this week that you would help us feel how near you are to us, that you would grant us joy as we lay our fears and worries before you. Amen.